0: In the Abraham Lincoln
2: Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong
3: and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: In the views of the Ukrainian government, the Germans have been a lot of talk. And not enough action. This week, President Volodymyr Zelensky issued a rare public rebuke of German Chancellor Olaf Schultz, saying this to one German news outlet.
3: We need Chancellor Scholz to give us certainty that they will support Ukraine. He and his government must choose not to do a balancing act between Ukraine and the Russian Federation.
5: So Jake mm. Tapper being pretty hard on German leadership, re-supporting uh, Ukraine yesterday on his show, a little more on that in uh, just a second. But the leaders of Germany, France, and Italy are meeting with President Zelensky in Kiev today. They also toured Urpin, where Russian soldiers are accused of committing atrocities. I think that was a pretty good move by President Zelensky to take them around and say, here's uh, here's where they're raping old women and murdering children, in case you're wondering what that looks like, to maybe uh, you know get some of them uh, to move a little further on this issue. As... Uh, they can. The Ukrainians continue to say that they are not getting enough support. The New York Times report questions are mounting over EU's support for Ukraine, as it is, uh, is uh, uh, some of the language has not been as uh, much resolve as we were seeing a month ago. For instance,
3: In- interesting that uh, Olaf Schultz would show up a couple of days after getting a verbal spanking. I'm sure they'll discuss that.
5: Yeah, got a little more on what we are giving the Ukrainians, what they're asking for and what they're giving them, because there was a uh, some questioning on that yesterday. We'll get to that in just a second, but here's a little more of Jake Tappern beating up on the German chancellor.
4: While it's true Schultz uses the right words, branding Putin a warmonger and terming the invasion a Zeitenwender, meaning a turning point in the history of German foreign policy, a term not used lightly, some critics feel it's different when it comes to German Chancellor Schultz's deeds. As one German political commentator recently wrote, quote, the chancellor, despite his strong talk at the beginning of the war, has chosen effectively to do nothing. His indecisiveness is more than a political failure. It amounts to a dangerous weakening of the resolve of those who oppose Russia's war, clearing the way for more brutality and violence.
5: It happens a lot, as we all know, in politics. You have to look at what actually happens, because politicians regularly say things that they're going to do, and you assume, okay, good, it's going to happen. But then it never happens, <laughs> or the opposite happens sometimes.
3: Um, yeah, and- it's funny. I'm just reading uh, an account of the various statements made by uh, both Schultz and Macron, and they are exactly what you're talking about. It's it's some lovely, flowery language, which I'm sure they took many minutes to uh, to prepare about Uh, unity in both the present and the future. We will be there for Ukraine, blah, blah, blah.
5: And here's just a little more as Jake Tapper uh, is doing, I think, maybe the best job of any show on any network in covering Ukraine.
4: Germany's economic might as the European Union's biggest economy makes it a critical player here. But instead of outright banning all oil and gas imports from Russia, Germany has opted to, quote, phase out those shipments continuing a revenue stream which some critics say helps fund Russian war efforts. And while Germany reacted quickly, vowing to send desperately needed tanks and anti-aircraft systems to the Ukrainian front lines, Schultz's government later backpedaled, declaring that Germany needed to keep the weaponry, and that, anyway, Ukrainian soldiers were not sufficiently trained to handle such advanced technology. That's a criticism quickly rejected by Zelensky when I sat down with him in April.
5: So, uh, when the pressure was at the highest, when the world was really paying the most attention, when the entire planet was, you know, um, uh, checking their news every single day, and and uh, I was seeing Ukrainian flag pins and all that sort of stuff, Germany said they were going to send them all kinds of arms and cut off buying Russian oil. But they didn't follow through on those things. And now the mm-hmm. things have calmed down a little bit, and people aren't paying as much attention. Uh they're getting away with it to a certain extent, which is troubling.
3: The uh, now, I was going to say, Schultz, uh, who's long resisted traveling to Kiev, said he didn't want to join the queue of people who do a quick in and out for a photo opportunity. Instead, the trip should focus on doing concrete things. They right. announced they'll provide Ukraine with three multiple launch rocket systems that they desperately need.
5: All right. Um, this is from the Washington Examiner. Jamie McIntyre, who is well known as a, a great Twitter follow follower on anything military, U.S. says world is granting every request on Ukraine's latest weapons wish list. I wonder about this all the time because I hear the talk out of Ukraine saying they don't have enough stuff or that's not getting to them fast enough. As rapidly as humanly possible is what our SecDef said yesterday, Lloyd Austin, when asked about. Uh, us supplying the Ukrainians. So a whole bunch of people got together. Our SecDef, General Mark Milley, others, they were being questioned along with the, uh, they were meeting with Ukrainian commanders. Bottom line is everything General, I can't pronounce his name, asked for in Ukraine, we're sending as rapidly as possible. We get a source through the international community, through the United States and allies and partners, and we get it done, said General Milley. From the time that the requests are validated and authorized, it's only a matter of days until the requirement is sourced, shipped, and in the hands of the Ukrainians. If you were wondering about that, and I was, how long that takes, he says it's a matter of days. Ukraine is still outgunned. The numbers clearly favor the Russians in terms of artillery. Um, They outnumber, outgun, and outrange, General Milley said, the Ukrainians. But he pushed back when questioned about a tweet from the Ukrainian presidential advisor that Ukraine needs far more than what the U.S. and its partners have supplied. This is what General Milley said when confronted with that tweet that, hey, we're not giving him enough stuff. He mentioned a 1,000 howitzers, 300 multiple launch rocket systems, 500 tanks, 2,000 armored vehicles, and a 1,000 drones. I don't know where those numbers are coming from, said Milley. They asked for 10 battalions of artillery, 12 battalions of artillery were delivered. Again, I'd say 97,000 anti-tank systems. That's more anti-tank systems than there are tanks in the world. They asked for 200 tanks, they got 237 tanks. They asked for 100 infantry fighting vehicles, they got over 300. So, unless you think we're lying, we're saying that we've given them more than they've even asked for, and we're getting it to them in days.
3: Yeah, and I saw that uh, General Milley disputed the Ukrainians' own uh, figures of how many guys are dying every day in the East. They were claiming now it's three to five hundred, and Milly said, no, nah, it's more like one to two hundred. So, you know, Ukraine is playing a desperate game of PR. There's no doubt, you know, who am I to tell them anything, but I, I, don't get caught exaggerating too much.
5: Yeah, right. It'll it'll hurt you more than it'll help you. Uh, General Milley went on to say that 60 Ukrainians have been have completed training on this particularly lethal weapon system that we gave them, and apparently is very complicated. We've trained up 60 Ukrainians. If they use the weapon properly and it's employed properly, they ought to be able to take out a significant amount of targets, and that will make a huge difference in the war. But that'll be by the end of the month, which is a long time if you're in the trenches getting shelled every single day.
3: Yeah, boy, the grim, grim mathematics of war. Will this change the outcome long term? Maybe not. Uh, Will it uh, lengthen the conflict, leading to more lost lives? Probably. In the long term, for humanity, for Europe, for Russia, will that save lives? Because they get hit so hard in the nose that... They'll never be able to do it again. And China's thinking, wow, that's more trouble than uh, I thought it would be. Again, it's the grim mathematics of war. And, you know, there are enough variables. It's difficult to come to a solid conclusion.
5: Right. Well, But but between the fact that General Milley said that yesterday and that Jamie McIntyre, who would challenge it if he didn't think it was true, is reporting it today, I think Mm -hmm. it's true. So we're giving them more than they asked for on the specific things. So let's, you know, calm down on that whole topic.
3: It sounds yeah, to me. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh Germany's still an issue to get back to the beginning oh, yeah. of the segment. But, oh, yeah. So.
5: yeah. It's uh it's a grim story, and I I find it difficult to follow now that it's going the wrong direction, which is stupid and childish. But it doesn't it was making me feel good to follow it early on. Now mm-hmm. it makes me feel bad when I follow it, and so I don't follow it, which again is childish, but you know human nature well, it, who wants to who wants to follow stories that make them feel bad well and there's a grim sameness
3: to it day after day too so i mean all you need is really a quick update and you know what's going on it's it's, it's awful you know speaking of germany and and the long and short term effects of war was there a single historian in say the 1940s who said you know what I think? The long-term result of Germany trying to conquer the world and getting crushed is going to be they'll be a big, wealthy, but useless country for a long time because they'll be so scarred by you know being the Nazi country. I mean, who saw that coming? That they'll they'll become so obsessed with not being Nazis that they'll be more or less useless in terms of preventing war or or preventing the very sort of conquest that the uh, old Adolf uh, Hitler engaged in.
5: Right. Right. Yeah, that is interesting, culturally speaking. Um, yeah, it's, I
3: mean, it's like, it's like trying to explain something to a really stupid person. Uh, you know, cause they're saying, yes, dur I, uh, duh, I was a big fat bully and uh, I don't want to be that anymore. So I'm not going to be a bully. Okay. There's another bully who y- y- you didn't like being a bully. That's evil, right? Dur, yep. It's evil to be a bully. Uh, well, yep. there's a big mean bully. Right now, and we got to stop him, or he's going to do all the bad stuff that you're ashamed of.
1: Duh, I don't want to be a bully. <laughs>
5: <laughs> or is it just crass financial decisions? Look, we paid for this stuff, we want to keep it ourselves. It'd be expensive to give it to you, and oil's cheaper from Russia, so we're going to keep buying it. Is it just that?
3: Yeah, there's uh, there is an element of cold practicality in German culture. It's one of the reasons they're such terrific engineers and car builders and that sort of thing. Um, it's it's def- difficult to describe. My German teacher, who uh, who was absolutely terrific in college, explained some of it to us. Um, she was not a native German, but just fluent in the language. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's 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 a unique country, no doubt
2: and Getty Jack Armstrong
0: and Joe Getty.
3: But resist we must. The Armstrong
0: and Getty show uh,
3: The swimming's international governing body, FINA, passed new rules that said, essentially, if you went through puberty as a male, you don't get to swim against women because you're way too big and strong and you win too much. And that's so obvious. Everybody with any sense understands how that's clearly the way it's got to be. Um And the vast majority of Americans, you would never know this, would you, by mainstream media coverage of, say, Leah Thomas there in Penn or whatever. But the vast majority of Americans agree. And 71.5% of FINA members voted in favor of the new policies. I mean, and, and if you included people who thought... The policy was close to good enough, but they wanted a few tweaks. I mean, it was the vast, vast, vast majority of the international swimming body said, no, you can't have people with male hearts, lungs, muscles, and bones competing against biological women. How about the rudder? Can you have the rudder? That's not even funny. It's childish and idiotic, and Does I that, will not dignified. Well,
5: I'm it. serious. Does that play a role at all? Uh, for FINA's new rules? Well, and whether you're a male or female at this point, that's got nothing to do with it? It does in my book, (laughs) but um, and that's right up top of the list, as a matter of fact. But
3: um, so anyway, Fina passed this rule, and it's crazy, isn't it? You'd get the idea that uh, most most people think it's wonderful for biological males to compete because a woman is whoever uh, says they're a woman. But of course, nobody, no sane people really think that. Uh, So anyway. Uh, so the backlash has begun, such as it is, from various activists. Uh, for instance, here's Athlete Ally, an advocacy group for trans people's inclusion in sports. Quote, FINA's new eligibility criteria for transgender athletes and athletes with intersex variations is discriminatory, harmful, unscientific, and not in line with IOC principle. Wait a minute, unscientific? That is a claim that is diametrically opposed to reality just ridiculous human rights campaign interim president joni madison said this sudden and discriminatory decision is a blatant attack on transgender athletes who have worked to comply with long-standing policies well they're the wrong policies dear this policy is an example of swim organizations carving to an avalanche of ill-informed prejudiced attacks targeted at one particular transgender swimmer that's absurd Oh, let's see. Went on to say, to the young athletes who may be disheartened by this policy, know that we know and believe every young person deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Well, wait a minute. Everybody thinks that. And that transgender kids, like their friends, deserve the same chances to learn sportsmanship, self-discipline, and teamwork. Well, wait a minute.
5: Everybody agrees with that, too. Well, and you can do that on the women's team or any team. And build a sense of belonging with their peers. Nobody's against that. You know what we're against, uh, sweetheart? Is...
3: People with biologically male bodies whoop it up on women in women's sports. Now
5: well, interest well, it, go ahead. it's also just unsustainable. It just it, it they Oh on it, its face. It can't keep going. I would think everyone would recognize that. Yeah, well,
3: you would think that, and yet the the radical gender theory people have so penetrated our schools and universities, they have recruited a cabala people that's so brainwashed the obvious doesn't even disturb their fantasies, the undeniable doesn't even get on their radar screen, uh, which is a little bit scary again, given how much sway they have in America's edu- educational system. Uh, but anyway, in the wake of the FIFA ruling. Um, I'm sorry, uh, the FINA ruling... The World Soccer, or do you call it football, governing body FIFA, and World Athletics said on Monday that they are reviewing their transgender eligibility policies after swimming past new rules that restrict transgender participation in women's events. In other words, all of the less courageous International Sports federations said, Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Quick, quick, go ahead. We'll pass the stuff we've been talking about for a long time. We've got cover. FINA did it first. Because they know it every bit as uh, clearly as FINA did, what clearly has to happen. Um, meanwhile, uh, let me skip down here because we're running out of time. Uh, the World Rugby Association. I can't find it now. I have, oh, uh, rugby leagues governing body banned transgender athletes from competing in international matches while the organization conducts further research into the quote unquote perceived risk to other players. You ever seen a big hulking transgender biological male compete against women in rugby? It's ugly. Oh. It's like one of those horrifying internet videos where you see a woman beaten. It's, it's terrible to watch. And they're talking about open categories, blah, blah, blah. All. Oh, Sebastian Coe, president of World Athletics, told the BBC that the organization's council would discuss the regulations at the end of the year. Co praised FINA for taking the decision, which has been criticized by trans rights advocates. Um da da da. What did he say? This is as it should be. We've always believed that biology trumps so called gender, and we will continue to review our regulations in line th- with this. We will follow the science. Folks, once in a while, I start to think sanity might be making a comeback. Let's hope, at least internationally, that it is.
0: Armstrong, and
2: at LifeLock.com/news. That's LifeLock.com/news to save up to twenty five percent. Identity theft protection starts here.
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
5: So I'm going to read a little bit from David French. He writes a whole bunch of different places. Works for the Dispatch. Uh, he wrote a book last year. I don't remember the title of it, but it was about our coming civil war. And he was trying to be um, I, I know, provocative. He doesn't actually believe we're headed toward a civil war, but uh, you know how polarized we are, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'll jump into that. And, and uh, but. He wrote that bef- before a lot of the stuff that has happened over the last couple of years where things have gotten increasingly worse, and he thinks he was a little early in his book, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm going to read from this. I think you'll find, a lot of you, I think you'll find yourself in the two-thirds that he's talking about here, the two-thirds of America, the majority, the tired majority. He writes, nor did I necessarily foresee the atmosphere of gloom that pervades this land. A recent Gallup survey puts American patriotism at a new low. Only 38% are extremely proud to be an American. We talked about this last week. Democrats 26%, independents 34 Republicans are still at 58%. Extremely proud to be an American. But if Republicans are most proud of their American identity, they're least optimistic about the future. Last month, More in Common released a study showing that 50% of Republicans believe America's best days are definitely or probably behind us. What do you think on that, on the question of are, are our best days ahead of us or behind us? I decline to answer. <laughs> what the hell kind of an answer is that?
3: <laughs> I just, I think it's a ridiculous I de- question.
5: I decline to answer. <laughs> why, is it, days, why is it
3: ridiculous? Th- because uh, today and the days to come and are that the only day days. Is every day. <laughs> exactly. To do it is time have for to do us it. to. Yes. Yes. do what we have been doing and that time right. is every day. Thank That's you. what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is the only days I'm concerned with are today and the days to come. Uh, I can't even accurately remember everything that was going on 27 years ago, much less rate it versus today or 10 years from now. It's a ridiculous question. How about we do our best to manage today and the days to come?
5: It is kind of an interesting thought. If I apply it to my own life, even though my best days are probably behind me, is there any point in focusing on that whatsoever well and even if you if you're willing to entertain the question do you mean
3: physically sexually financially in terms of understanding life being comfortable in your own skin i could probably come up with half a dozen other reasonable measures for are my best days ahead of me or behind me or whatever
5: all right well anyway i'll get back to this if republicans are most proud of their identity they're the least optimistic about the future last month a study showed that 50 percent of republicans believe america's best days are definitely or probably behind us I would if I had to choose one of the two, I would answer that Democrats and independents were at 32 and 33 percent. These findings are consistent with my personal experience, writes David French. Democrats often seem to dwell on the worst elements of the American past hence their lack of pride, but seem to have a greater degree of hope for positive social change. So Democrats think uh, focus on our flaws of the past, but think our best days are ahead of us. Republicans remember America's best days as being in the past, but think we're in a persistent state of decline. It is mm. interesting. I think that I think that's true. Don't you agree with the premise here?
3: Yeah, and it's straight out of Thomas Sowell's "A Conflict of Visions." Once again, the uh, the the one sort of person believes that uh, mankind is reformable. And you just have to pass enough rules and educate them enough and we'll build a utopia. The other side says
5: human nature is unchanging. We just have to make sure everybody's treated fairly. At the risk of overgeneralizing, a Democrat might say what's bad is getting better. A Republican would respond that's what's good is getting worse. Both of those things, I suppose, could be true, though. Uh, But I encounter a third faction now, says David French. The exhausted majority first identified... In the Hidden Tribes survey that came out back in 2018. Under this analysis, America isn't just red and blue. It's red and blue and just plain tired. Who are these tired Americans? The polling answer from the survey is the two-thirds of our neighbors and citizens from across all political spectrums who are fed up with polarization, forgotten in public discourse, flexible in their views, and still believe we can find common ground. The exhausted American does not make a religion out of politics and is thus at disadvantage when confronting the ferocity and zeal of the true political believer.
3: Yes, that's clearly. certainly
5: me. The which, exhaust- which
3: gets back to what I was talking about earlier, um how we police our own sides to make sure they're ideologically pure and the rest of it. It's the angry three percent that do that policing.
5: And you are at a disadvantage when confronting the ferocity and zeal of the true political believer. Because it's just like, ah, I just, I, ah, you know. I'm not going
3: to whip myself up to the same state of anger and emotion it's going to take to counter you.
5: Are you in this two-thirds? The exhausted American is hungry for simple decency and will seek out friendships on the left and the right so long as respect trumps differences. Even the most extreme disagreements are manageable so long as a friend is willing to listen and learn and you're willing to listen and learn in return. The exhausted majority is also the hope for America. But what happens when the exhausted majority just gets a little bit energetic? It can check the excesses of left and right. In San Francisco, an exhausted progressive majority recalled radical school board members and a radical district attorney. In the Southern Baptist Convention, an exhausted conservative majority has now twice turned back to politically radicalized and vocal fundamentalist wing that would transform the Southern uh, Baptist Convention into a MAGA denomination. David French goes on to write, There was a time when I lived my wife, my life on these polarized wings. I would say the same about myself. I spent more time worried about the left than I spent thinking about what part my partisanship played in fraying the American social fabric. I saw the triumph of my political foes as a greater threat to the nation than the partisan conflict itself. I now hold a different view, one that's closer to the view of America's wisest founders. At their most prescient moments, George Washington, in his farewell address, warned his countrymen against the dangers of factionalism and regionalism. James Madison in Federalist 10 warned against the violence of faction. Abraham Lincoln, the indispensable architect of America's second founding, once said, At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reaches us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. I agree with David French's premise that I once saw the triumph of the my political foes, opponents, the other side, as the greatest threat to the nation. I now think the partisan conflict itself is the greatest threat to our country. Hmm. A lot of truth to
3: that. I I think if one side polices itself and the other doesn't, though, which side wins? I don't know. I don't know. Will that zealous few percent win the day?
5: God, I had this discussion just yesterday with somebody. Yeah, but they do this, so we've got to play by those rules. Man, if both sides are saying, but this is a dirty fight, and we have to play by the the new rules that that they started, I think we're doomed. It's just a spiral, isn't it? yes
3: yeah yeah it is does the high how... road work is the high road worth pursuing maybe that's the question or at least a higher road i mean we're on a low low road subterranean you know following up on your point the new york times has this piece with a bunch of audio embedded in it about how uh right-wing talk radio is constantly talking about how democrats cheat at the box office and you know, stop the steal and blah, blah, blah. And they, they touched their cap briefly, very briefly to Stacey Abrams claiming the election was stolen by Brian Kemp in Georgia because he suppressed the vote, blah, blah, blah. And they don't go into the years and years that Hillary Clinton and other people have claimed that the Republicans stole the elections and George Bush stole it from Al Gore and the rest of it. I mean, this has been going on for, on both sides for a very long time. And, you know, as a side argument, I would say for the umpteenth time, you've got to ensure ballot security. Otherwise, people's doubts, whether they're legit or not, will not go away. Uh, but anyway, the New York Times had a great opportunity to call everybody out, but instead they decided to make it a lefty editorial decrying the evils of talk radio. So takes two to tango, doesn't it?
5: Uh, it does. It does. Um, how do you get out of the spiral if you're not willing to be the first to to stand up and say let's let's try to, to you know look out for the country as a whole? Of course, <laughs> you might just get smashed in the face. And doesn't do any good. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I, I am certain though that my premise that is that the partisanship is a bigger threat than anything.
3: Yeah, and what's interesting is that the uh, so-called exhausted majority is a majority. It's a huge oh, group of absolutely. Americans. Oh, absolutely,
5: might be more than two thirds. And like the the
3: staunchly reasonably conservative is bigger than the hardcore crazy conservative in the same way that the you know honest liberal folks. The Bill Mars and Matt Taibbi's of the world. There is more of them than there are the woke lunatics, but it's the outsized volume of the voices and viciousness of the attacks, and you know, it's a, the, the the groups on the fringes are practically the guy with the gun who who comes into an argument in a bar and and just by sheer brutality, quote unquote, wins and the rest of us have to figure out how to effectively resist that before, like Lincoln said, we're the author of our own suicide.
5: Yeah, and the, the line in there from David French about pe- for people for, who polit- for whom politics is their religion, we, we all know that uh, crowd. Um, man, if you see everything through the lens of the first thing you do every day when you get up is see what the other side did that's wrong. To be mad about all day long. And I personally know lots of people like that. It's mm-hmm. uh I, I don't know how you get out of that.
0: Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. A personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The
1: Armstrong and Getty Show.
3: Now, I have, I, Joe Getty, have not passed the bar. In fact, I almost never passed the bar. Hot, huh? <laughs> Come on, folks. Tough crowd tonight. What? <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of delay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I have delved deeply into the Geico uh, 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 STD story. Okay, this gal is with her paramour, and I'll get into the sort of details in a moment. Um, she sued like everybody she could. Because she got the HPV having sex with her man at the time in his luxury car. How old is she in the car? How old are you? I don't know. That's so uncomfortable, but you know, you get all horned up. Eh. Anyway, uh, the woman <laughs> well, notified wow. Geico. She was seeking monetary damages. An arbitrator wait, wait, wait,
5: wait, with. Since so, so you're glossing over things that make no sense, you get no. An,
3: these are the only. Th- this is the only
5: relevance. You get an STD from your boyfriend, and you contact Geico. I, I, would. When, when when does anybody ever think ah, I got an STD from uh, my my sexual experience the other night? I better contact his car insurance company. I know, it's an odd maneuver. So, uh, after she
3: notified Geico that she was seeking monetary damages, an arbitrator with the Jackson County Circuit Court ruled that the man was liable for not disclosing his infection, saying the sex in the car directly caused, et cetera, et cetera. Geico had argued the law judgment did not fall in line with Missouri law, claiming to the court that the man's policy covered injuries that only came out of, quote, the ownership, maintenance, or use of the auto. Well, he was using it all, right? Uh, the, uh, company also claimed that the injuries to the woman arose from an intervening cause, namely her failure to prevent transmissions of STDs by having unprotected sex. But,
5: yeah, that's, the, that's a decent point there. You have an option in this too. Right. It, this is a
3: technical ruling. The three judge panel cited two to one, or th- I think it was two to one. With the gal just because, quote, at the time of Geico's intervention, liability and damages had been determined by an arbitrator and confirmed by the trial court. Geico had no right to relitigate those issues. Now, Geico argued and the other justice agreed with them that, well, wait a minute. In the trial, the insurance company wasn't allowed to... Or in the hearings, it wasn't allowed to represent itself. It's reduced to like a bystander by Missouri law. You can't hammer them uh, with this sort of penalty without allowing them to defend themselves. So it's absolutely going to federal court.
5: $5.2 million, by the way. Who gets paid that much for an STD period? So the first, the story was first reported. I know Kansas that, City star. I know that's a particularly bad STD to get, but I've known a half dozen women that have contracted that in their lives. I don't oh, yeah. think they got ascent, let alone became millionaires for yeah, anybody. You're a better lawyer. So
3: M.O., which is how the woman is uh, identified in the case, because you can't use her name because she's got the, uh, the, the HPV, I guess. Uh, M.O., And the man, identified in court documents as MB, began a romantic relationship in late 2017. Sometime during that relationship, Jack, the couple had sex inside MB's 2014 Hyundai Genesis, a luxury sedan that Kelly Blue Book raved, quote, leaves very little to criticize.
5: (laughs) Apparently, it's quite roomy as well. Excellent detail, but apparently doesn't have the you of your STDs option that I like on my luxury vehicles. Yeah, I like the air conditioning, the nice stereo and the cures me of STDs option. Yeah,
3: that's expensive, though. Anyway, so that's what's happening there. It's more or less a technical decision. This this can't stand. Come on. It's too crazy. Judge uh, Tava Bell marched into the inmate holdover room on Thursday in Harris County, Georgia. I think that's where Atlanta is. To get a guilty plea from a defendant being isolated to minimize contact with others. The prosecutors and court reporter joined her as part of a last minute attempt to prevent the defendant from getting too close to the judge or anyone else in the ceremonial courtroom because of an earlier incident. That incident happened Tuesday when the uh, defendant asked the judge if she liked liked peanut butter. He then chucked his feces at the judge. I'm sorry, what in now? An appara- <laughs> Fecal matter. How did that occur?
5: I don't know how that's a follow-up to the peanut butter inquiry. Well, no, that's not even really the question. If my, if that's going to be my reaction to something, well, did he bring it with him? Did he have it in a bag? <laughs> <laughs> um, did he produce it on the spot? I, I, I would have to guess.
3: I would guess he produced it at the last minute.
5: Otherwise, surely someone would have noticed, if you know what I mean. What's in the bag? Uh, nothing. Well, N- Nunya. It's a bag full of nunya. <laughs> nunya business. Inmates don't
3: get bagfuls of nunya as part of the whole inmate experience. It's kind of the point. Anyway, uh they think it was an apparent attempt to feign incompetency. Hmm. Well, throwing your poo at a judge ain't competency. I don't know if it's incompetency. The fecal matter spattered the bench and plopped onto Judge Hill's phone. Oh,
5: that's just... So grotesque.
3: According to photos of the aftermath, she dodged the flung dung, though she disclosed
5: in court. What if that... Yeah. Got to get that person and Amber Heard together somehow. Yeah, yeah.
3: Who flung poo? Well, now we know. Ah, that was a gosh, that's an ancient, ancient childhood joke. (laughs) Books you may have read or whatever it was. Ah, I believe Mr. I.P. Daly factored into that joke as well. The previous courtroom stunt prompted Judge Hill to recuse herself from his pending cases on the emergency relief docket. Uh, duh, 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 two of which stemmed from his July 2018 arrest on uh, charges of aggravated uh, robbery with a deadly weapon evading arrest. Additional charges to clashes with fellow Harris County Jail inmates and detention officers, some of which also involved his feces, have since been stacked on, according to court documents.
5: Some of which have also involved his feces, you said.
3: Yeah, yeah, this guy's kind of a one-trick pony, Yeah, evidently. God, come up with a new act. Hey, everybody, the Pooh Chucker's coming to court today, so stay light on your feet. All right. Uh, let's see. Jury selection begins on Wednesday. Uh, da, da, da. He refused to change out of his yellow jumpsuit into non jail clothing before prospective jurors entered. Uh, prior to jury selection, the judge encouraged the 26 year old defendant to keep his shackled hands below the table and out of sight of jurors. Um, wow. Well, why? Interesting. Okay. Well, don't chuck your poo at the judge. There's no, I mean, Jack, you often ask this question. How did you see that ending?
5: <laughs> exactly. Was the
3: judge going to say, you know, you're obviously very angry. And I find myself thinking, maybe we should turn you loose.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's what you thought the reaction was going to be. <laughs> That's hilarious.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, the, uh, the uh, mental health competency people call him a malingerer of uh, faking it. Uh, which can have an uh, effect on defendants who have a diagnosed mental illness. Quote, you may have some mental health issue, but you're just pretending that you're mentally ill to escape liability. Somebody who doesn't want to face the consequences of what they did. It's an act, not a mental illness. Quit chucking your poo at people.